Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. As you are here right now listening to this show, you have survived. No matter what has happened to you, you've made it to be in existence at this precise moment with the ability to be listening to a podcast. There are so many, many others who have not made it. Why have you survived? What is the purpose for you having come this far, coming through what you've come through? This is what propels my guest, Peter Mutabazi, who's back for part two as we walk through his personal values, motives, and habits. Here, he shares again some of the dramatic abuse and hardship on all levels that he endured. You name the abuse, Peter had some of the worst of it. And yet he made it while his list of family and friends who did not only make it but aren't even alive anymore is just vast. And it's from the fact he survived that he feels his greatest purpose. As you'll hear him share, he just can't believe there is not a purpose for why he survived, and he wants to fully use himself to help others not only survive, but thrive. His book that propelled me to have him on the show is called Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. It, it to me, is one of the best self-help resources I've come across in a long, long time. It just blatantly showcases so many of our emotional and relational dysfunctions that Peter endured and is still working through in order to function healthfully and help others do the same. I'm also encouraging everyone to visit Peter's website at nowiamknownfoundation.org and consider booking him to speak. He's just a powerful speaker, as you'll hear, and helping his efforts to foster and adopt more children and helping those children even as they age out. Again, it's nowiamknownfoundation.org foundation.org. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, it'd be great if you would leave a rating and review. The best thing you can do, just keep the conversation going. Talk about what you heard here with someone else. You can always connect with me, find me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Peter Mutabazi shares his personal values, motives, and habits, and more of the horrid story of abuse and lack he came from to now his life of having and sharing so much abundance. Peter, the first area in this part two that I look at is spiritual. Um, and looking at your values there and how you walk that out and you talk about, you tell a poignant story, you know, of James in the book who befriended you and, and helped you and supported you and them taking you to church and that you did not really, I mean, you went, but you didn't really have any place for God. Or, or something bigger, which makes complete sense. I mean, you've been in moment by moment survival mode your entire life. Where was God in that? How, when did that come to place of even reconciling that? Because you know the propensity to look at and be angry. If it meant if there's a God, then this stinks what he allowed to happen. That's a common 
place to go for people through significant trauma. What did your journey look like there? You know, I think for me, religion was more like a joke, like really seriously, because my family was very, very, very religious, Roman Catholic, you know, your, your dad uh, who beat the crap out of you. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And my uncles and my aunties, you know, they were religious. So it was more like sin from Monday to Friday. And then you go for confession and then you start on Monday sinning. I mean, as a kid, they were the worst drunks. No child in my in my family has the same dad, same mom. I mean, I, I saw sex at the age of four from my aunties. I mean, it was just so bad, but at the same time, so religious. And I could not understand, you know, especially from my father. Like, how can you be so horrible? horrible. I mean, my dad would beat up either me or my siblings or my mother. But after he would pray for, for an hour with his rosary and you're like how do you switch from there to there like you know that's what i'm saying it gave you every reason to not want accept god in any way in any shape form i was like no you know so for me it was more like okay this this god is just i don't know like i don't know i feel like was shows up one day and doesn't show up the other day like just no no it's not a consistent God in in a way. And then on the streets of of Kampala, just to see how humans could be so low and humans could be so mean uh, that I just could not. There was no day. There was no hour that you felt, man, is God there? You know, because every moment was bad. Yeah. You know, I lived in a sewer that smelled so bad. And that's why we were secure because most people don't, didn't want to go there because the smell, they wouldn't go there. You know, people would sometimes not give us food, but throw in the garbage, in the garbage where there are dogs and other animals and they won't give it to us so they didn't have to touch our hands. So to see how human treats you that way and somehow to think you are human that God loves, like to me, those just didn't, didn't, didn't didn't look or seem or even and the other part kevin like i wanted to die like for me my wish was to die i wasn't a suicidal guy but for me i just wish i went i slept or just blinked and i was gone you know i slept for one hour every 24 hours that was the longest i slept slept in the sewer or in the garbage or under the bus so for me my life was god my prayer the one i knew was just don't make me see tomorrow. Please do not make me see tomorrow. That was my every day, every hour prayer. So for me, God was more of just mean, you know, that, you know, let me die. But at the same time, you just let me suffer. Like, I just, I don't get it. You know, like you, this God is just in and out. Like I, I can't, it's not like I can't trust, but I just, like I wanted to sit with him and fight with him. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, you know? yeah. In my head, as a, as a ten year, twelve year old, I was like, this guy, come on, you know, seriously. But then it's when Jim, when James began feeding me, feeding me. Remember, it wasn't fun or it wasn't something I looked forward to until later. Because remember, kindness meant danger. So to me, I was waiting for him to harm me. I was waiting for him. To ask, I don't know, sexual favor. I don't know. I was waiting for him to ask me something bad. So it took me a month to know that, oh, he, he actually meant what he, 
he gave me food. He really meant it. When he came looking for me so I can help him, he really meant it. But it took him more than a year for me before I could get there. So once he began feeding me and once he put me in school, that's when I would say, say, wait, this guy has something that I don't know. I have never seen. I have never felt. But he has something unique that I would like to have. You know, and it's later that I found out that he was a believer. That that's really ha- what made the whole thing like, oh, okay. But also now it made it easy for me to see God because he sh- his example became relevant for me to know God. God is faithful. Okay, this guy has been faithful feeding me. God is loves unconditional. Well, this guy loves me. He doesn't know me, but he cares for me. This guy, he doesn't know me, but he cares. He brought me to his home, to his family. So if he became my God. Like if there was a God I could measure, he was my best standard of what God is. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So that that was easy for me to be a believer or have faith because I idolized this stranger because he showed me what humanity wasn't. He showed me that. He showed me what a father ought to be. Showed me that he showed me what if a god is there, what they look like or they do. So it's what really helped me be want to know my faith, want to know Christ, my Lord, my Savior. But also too, it became strange for me because the more I could hear the the Bible, for example, there's one thing we would pray that I just could not get. He said, "Forgive even those who have wronged you." For me, that just like no. You know, like I felt like we can forgive some people, but there are some people we should not. <laughs> and my I think father, everybody feels that way to some degree, yeah. Except my father was one that guy I was like, okay, no, you know, this religious thing of wanting us to forgive people, no, not for me, because I had hatred towards my father that be, becoming a Christian would that would cause me to forgive him. So I said, okay, I'm going to choose one. I'm going to choose anger rather than my faith. When actually, I did want to ask James, where's James right now? Oh, James is in Uganda. He's still no, in he's Uganda. In, okay. Yeah. Okay. He's still helping kids. Yes. I, I'm tempted to have him on here uh, and hear his story, but uh, well, I'm, I'm hearing about his legacy through you. Okay. I want to make a, a little detour. Well, let me ask. So on the spiritual side though, before I go there, how do you engage with that today? What's your spiritual life look like today? You know, I think for me, knowing that I was a, I, I am sinful as my father was. Like mm-hmm. sin is engaging to, oh, this one's bigger, this small. No, having hatred towards someone, you know, doing things that aren't right to someone are equally the same as what my father would do towards me. And also knowing that there's purpose in how, why I survived. And, and if it's my purpose is to serve others and, and show grace and understand mercy, but I want to do so because I feel that God has shown me grace and mercy towards me. That is something that I, maybe I, I ought to, 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 to share with others. You know, of all people, I feel like he's blessing me more than he's blessed others. You know, Luke 12, 48 says too much is given, much is required. I feel like he's given me so, so much in some way that it's my time maybe to give a little back of what he's given me. And that's my faith. That's my motto really like to do what I can do for others because I have been given much, not for me to hoarder or for me to keep for myself or for me to benefit just my family. No, that whoever has brought me in life, 
that I, if I can impact them with a little glimpse of what I was given, then I want to share that. Okay, so I did want to take advantage of having you here with a unique perspective, uh, which I heard some from my brother. I shared with you, my brother, Jared Angaza, spent a decade in Rwanda um, trying to save the world, as you talk about in your book. And he realized how naive and ignorant that a lot of his perspective was and a lot of our cultural perspective is uh, in that. And I even saw that uh, to to a degree in the children's home that we served at in a a Native American reservation where people try to come in, mission groups, save the world and realize it's, it's, this is, this is helping them more than it is these kids uh, in all honesty, not, not to minimize things. Okay. So with that as a preface, then you said this in the book, as you are helping, you got into a position of helping these uh, church groups, religious groups, whatever, come in. And you said this, uh, it, it, I'm paraphrasing. You kind of said, Oh my, here we go again. They're coming in. You can see it in their eyes, right? They're, they're going to save the world. And you said then, and this is what was profound to me, Peter, I guess it's only natural when you come from a church culture that equates affluence with God's blessing on your life. Then you assume that a very poor country must also be spiritually dark. That's a big statement. Uh, it's it's not surprising, but to put it in that plain aspect that we tend to, and I'm going to pick on America and the own re- culture that I grew up in, religious culture, that we, as you said, we equate affluence with God's blessing on our life. That is so prevalent in a lot of the religious culture, and yet what you showcase is in these poor places, there's a lot of... Ex- a lot of testimony. And that's what a lot of the people saw then who came there to save everybody, that there was more faith showcased in these poverty stricken places than what they had ever experienced in their lives. That's a massive paradigm shift in how we view this. You know, absolutely. You know, and, and for me, I've worked in with missions. I've worked for Compassion International and World Vision you know, for, for most, you know, more, more than 25 years to see the attitude of, you know, I have, so I'm going to give you, but I'm giving you because you, I don't know, you haven't prayed enough. You haven't trusted God enough and attitude in a way, you know, that I saw how wealthy, you know, my culture were that they knew the Lord. Yes. They didn't have stuff, but somehow their faith was every day to wake up every morning and say, I don't know, I have food, but I'm going to trust the Lord who will carry me through every day. You know, I know I don't have transportation to get from point B to point C, but I'm going to trust God that he will help me get there. I don't have, there's no grocery stores where I grew up, but I'm going to grow these crops. But by the time they grow, they that you provide water, the sun, the rain, so I can be able to feed my family. The needs were every day. You're on your knees on a daily basis. That that was really cool to learn. That your dependence on God was was every day and still is still every day. That living in a culture where, I mean, now I have a credit card. When I go to the you know gas station, I don't have to think about wait how much money do I have in here. No, you know my kids love fruits in the winter in the summer they are there you know but we never think about but where are these fruits coming from that they depend on god's nature on, on how he's allowed us to have that 
And we forget about that. But also I wanted the Americans who came to my country to know like, hey, God has blessed you richly, but also he's blessed our people richly by faith. You know, that, that we, we are not above you, neither are you above us, but we can both share and learn from each other. What can you learn from our faith? But also, what can we learn from you having that we can both benefit each other? Yeah. You know, don't come to teach me the gospel, but come to know how you can learn my faith and how you can use the gift of resource God has given you to use to bless others. You know, how, how can how can you learn that? And for me, that's the the attitude I, you know, maybe because my, my my family that took me in used the life of Joseph maybe a little bit too much for me, you know, oh, because yeah. I doubt I doubted, you know, every time I doubt, I was like, Peter, do you know the life of Joseph? What did Joseph do when his brothers found out that he was alive? Well, they were afraid that he would kill them. But what he said, he said, for what you meant for evil, God has used it for good to save lives. But the same way, I think, you know, that he rescued him. So the American, so the, you know, the Egyptians could feed, you know, to, to the people who needed food somewhere. That maybe I feel the same way as Americans that we are blessed to have so much, but just not so we can look others that they're below us yeah. or use it. No, but rather to say, man, God, you've blessed us. How can we use to save lives of others uh, and, and, and others richly teach us about you as well? Like it's a we, it's both sides uh, rather than always coming in to say, we have the resource and I'm going to teach you how you should do it, you know, but to say, I have the resource, but you know, your culture well, you know, your people well, teach me how my resources can help your people. Oh, that's profound. I had not thought about also the story of Joseph in relation to you. That's yeah, that, that lines up so well. And you also had me thinking just a story of Moses and the people out in the wilderness and the manna that was provided daily that they could not store up. They had to have faith that that would come down and feed them every day. And you lived that. And so many people live that. And I, I don't want to live that Peter. I, mm-hmm. I, I really, I appreciate the money in the bank and the things that are stored up and not that that's wrong, but nope. my goodness, how, uh, it's, it, that's, what's really rocked my own spiritual perspective is I want everything. I even want my beliefs stored up so I can just rely on them instead of coming to the day and saying, okay, God, what do I do here? I don't, I don't have a black and white belief that just fixes this moment. Cause this is, I need help. Um, it's that daily faith. Yeah, it's, it's significant. Again, that's why it stuck out to me and I wanted to bring it. I wanted to bring it up. Um, and, and Kevin, I'll, I'll share you a yeah. few things you can, a few things you can do that I try to teach my kids Please. and and every American is every time you open the door of your house and you walk in to look through and say, God, thank you that you get to give me a safe place to come and live. You no, know? every time I teach my kids, when you open your closet and before you complain of what clothes you don't have, let's first look at what we have. You know? They say we were, we are, 
we learn of the blessings we have when we know what we have. So when we acknowledge, you know, what we have, it helps us to understand the gratitude. What do I need to be thankful for, especially this week? Well, man, for that home you get to walk in and you know it's safe. You know, for that closet you go to walk in and know there's a shirt to wear. For that bed you get to walk in and sleep and know it has a bed sheet and a cover that you be you be warm tonight. Yeah. Uh, and that and that really helps us to say, what? You know what? Man, I am loved. And I need to be more content every day than always complaining or feeling I don't have enough. The next space here, the next topic is relationships. I'm going to have a hard time not spending two hours here with you, Peter. Because uh, some of what you talk about in the book that you share that you testify to is so significant to I think the human condition and again with such a relatively not traumatic life tragic life that I've led but realizing some of the things that I think we all do and this is literally page 107 in your book that you said I always have struggled with relationship because I feel I have to earn it and if it has to be earned, I can't relax and enjoy it. That line right there. So I grew up in a incredibly, my, my parents will listen to this podcast, uh, incredibly privileged home. I didn't lack for anything. Lots of love. Um, I was applauded for things that I did just like anybody does. Oh my gosh, you got good grades. You won a bike race or you did whatever. And I, for whatever reason, embrace that, embrace that performance is how that's what I get accolades for. And I embrace that for, uh, all of my life. I'm, I'm always working through that and feeling like if I don't, if you're not happy with me, if I don't perform well, that I don't get what I need. I'm not Superman. I'm not the hero. I'm not whatever. And and what you said there. So even though I don't come from anything like what you did though, the feeling that what stuck out to me and what I hear continually from a lot of humanity is feeling like relationship in relationships. I have to earn it that you've got you, you're, 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 you are earning it. It's only what you deserve. Yeah. And your statement again, if I have to earn it though, then I can't relax and enjoy it. And how many people listen to this show right now are in relationships that they can't just relax and enjoy because they feel they have to earn it. And you just lived it in a really profound way, but I'm sure you're seeing it every day in the kids you got in your home. And you also testify that you're still working through that yourself. That's always a part of you. Yes. Correct. Absolutely. You know, you know, and especially our kids, you know, especially our kids who, who've come from, who, as false parents, sometimes we have an attitude to say, well, I'm doing them a favor or else they won't have where to go, you right. know. But to the child, no, they didn't choose to come to you. They didn't choose to come to your home. No, they were comfortable and happy wherever they were, no matter how bad we think it was, they were comfortable. And knowing that, knowing that I have to, my standard of living, the way I live my life, I cannot mirror it to my kids so they can, hey, clean up after you, make your bed, you know, be productive. That, that's me. That, that's, that's me. And, and me wishing them they should, then 
I'm going to put them in a place where they have to feel like they have to fulfill what Papa is asking for mm. and they're not, not fully themselves, you know? So in some way for me, how do I know what do, I need to understand what my kids struggle to feel they belong and how do I make them feel they belong so they don't have to work to feel, Oh, I have to earn it to be near home. No, mm. you, you, you you already in my home, but how do I make sure that you're comfortable that it's your home? He's it's what I do for my kids. For every every child who's more than you know eight and above, we have to always change bedding because I want them to go buy the beddings <laughs> of their choice. You know, hmm. it's their color, it's the, what they pick, and then we always remove all the artwork in that room because they have to put theirs because it's the only way they can feel, man. When I crawl in this bed, this blanket is mine, you know. When I look up on the wall, that's a picture I chose that they will they feel this is my room because it has everything I chose. Because these kids are moved from one home to the other, but they never belong anywhere, neither own anything, you know. So for me, when they come, I want them to feel that yes, it's a pain of buying new <laughs> new beddings all the time. But to me, it's worth it for that child to feel like, man, this is this is me, this is my home, this is my room, you know. Oh, every child buys, we buy a plant. So we have lots of plants in my home, but I'm like, this is yours and you have to water it and make sure it's okay. So they feel like, man, everyone has a plant. I got mine too, you know? Uh So in a way where I can feel, how can I make you feel this is your home? And, and, And even how we make friendship, I think we make friendship. We say, you know, we have to meet at this restaurant. We have to, but we never think about do these people feel comfortable at the restaurants I always have to choose? You know, uh, you know, do, do, do they have to, do I always have to invite them to their home? Or can I actually go to their home? It might not feel like my home yeah. or, but go to their home. You know, I, I live in the South, you know, I, I don't always have to go to the same place, but I'm learning to go to soul food, food that I, don't normally see, but I can go search for it. So I feel like, man, I belong. And me coming to their their setting, their places, they feel like, man, this man belongs to our community because I'm getting to know their community. And and I struggled with that because I never had a place to belong. And I had to really learn along the way to feel I belong. It it speaks to, so one of the best, you know, self-help books of all time, Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages, which if you don't know the book, um, it's in essence saying how we tend to use it is saying, okay, I I feel love in a certain way. I may feel it through acts of kindness or through quality time or through gifts or, or whatnot. And so I'll tend to love other people that way. They may not feel love that way. So here I am thinking I'm bestowing love on them and they don't feel it that way. Okay. Uh, which is why the book's so popular. You've just depicted that twice now. One in the aspect of, you know, the missionaries come into Uganda or whatever, coming, you know, coming somewhere to serve and saying, okay, they have some resources, but for that resource to matter, it's asking who they're think they're serving. How can this resource serve you? Not me just inflicting it mm-hmm. on you in essence. Now you just said the same thing here that here you've got a kid or anyone that you want to serve. You could say it's a spouse, your child, uh, anyone you care about that you are, are, are seeking to serve them. But to do that, you need to stop first and find out what does serve them. 
because your offering may not, or your offering in this way may not. Just like what you said, taking them out to eat may seem nice, but if you take them somewhere where they're uncomfortable, it's not. Or to a food that they don't know, it's not going to be. And you continue to call us back to, it's not just our giving, it's it's knowing the person and what they need, which takes time and it takes investment. You're going back to, you talked about this, we talked about it in the first show, of getting to the root cause is what you seem to come back to every time in relationships. Absolutely. You know, and, and as a sports parents, people say, how do I help you? I'm like, uh, I don't you know. know you I'm, don't know I'm, yet. Yeah. I, I'm drowning. I don't yeah. know. You know, but usually I say, well, if you are the store, I'm saying, he's the best way you can do it. If you are the store, say, Peter, I'm in the store. I'm in house theater. I am. What can I get you? Because you're the store. I know. Can you get me milk? Can you get me eggs and can you get me bread? Because you're in a place where I can tell you what I need, okay. you know? Uh, so, 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 so learning to say, give me an opportunity for me to say, give me a choice where I get to be the one to decide. You're blessing me for sure, but you give me the opportunity. You're in a place where I can make that choice. I need milk, okay. eggs, you know, and bread. Those are my needs. But if you're at home and say, what can I get for you? I'm like, uh, <clears throat> um, I'm okay, you know, because you're in a place where I don't need anything, you know, yeah. but, but learning, but, but learning to say, I, I'm going to a pizza place. What pizza do your kids like? You know, but, but don't, don't wait for me to say, Hey, could you go get me pizza? No, I will never do that. You know, but you actually say, I'm going to go out of my way, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to decide for me. I, yeah. I'm going to, Go get a pizza, but you tell me what you need. That way, you, you truly, yes, you've taught me, but you, in the process too, you give me a choice to give you what my kids like. Hmm. Uh, I'm learning a lot, Peter. Um, here's one that I actually thought, and I don't know if I would have asked you, but because you talk hmm. about it, you actually broached the aspect of you are not married. Um, how old are you, Peter? 48, 48, you're 48. You are, you've adopted, uh, you're fostering and you are not married. And you mentioned that in the book and you said that that has been relationships to that. uh, And I'm paraphrasing that level of intimacy have continued to be difficult for you. One, because of that, what you just talked about feeling that you need to earn, you know, the relationship that's difficult, that's tiring, that's taxing. But then you also said that this wasn't a statement, I think, but kind of an admission of how you feel that it's better not to marry than to inflict my brokenness on someone else. So you're saying that's, that's something that you are holding, grappling with now. That is, that is still a, a root issue relationally that you still carry and grapple with today. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think for me, one, the fear, like I, I saw what my mom had to go through and sometimes the, the fear of like, I don't want to be my father, you know, mm-hmm. but also to like, I, I had to endure so much trauma in some way that I, in my head, I sometimes I feel like, am I worth anyone? Like, would someone really be able to understand my word and love me who I, or who, as who I am, yeah. you know, uh, you know, again, I'm in a culture also, you know, that I get to see, I think I'm fearful, you know, when I get to see people get really excited, they got flowers, they got, uh, you know, diamond rings. I come from a culture that isn't based on that. 
you know, a culture which is best on. You can give me a meal, you love me, you know. You can hang out with me, you love me. It's not best on on, on the outward. And I live in a culture of that we get to show much of the outward and less of the inward in some way that I feel like, man, I... I, I don't know. I don't have what to offer. Uh, or sometimes I feel that I won't be able to, to fulfill that need because I, you know, I come from a world where it, oh, oh, the other side is it's easy for me to give. I just don't know how to receive in some way. Does, yeah. it, does it make sense? Yes. You know? Yes. And it, it's actually, that's a piece of what I wanted to ask next that in coming from where you, again, I, I don't know how to, if I, how to it it feels so inadequate to try to describe what you dealt with as a kid a little kid living on the streets a hundred percent taking care of yourself nobody i mean literally nobody it's just hard to conceive of that in that you weren't used to relying on anyone and as you showcase in the book it was really difficult to trust people to rely uh to rely on them so today at 48 years old how does that look like? Is it one hard to rely on people because you still have trust issues? So that's one question. Or is it just not natural because you're just used to taking care of yourself because you get into a relationship and you want to have mutual reliance on each other. Um, and I ask it with bias, Peter, cause I'm not good at that. I'm not, I, I want to take care of things myself. I don't want to rely right. on somebody else. And it's not great for my marriage. It's not great for friendships sometimes. And yet, you know, again, it's not near what you dealt with. So I'm asking you about what's relying on other people look like to you today. And so, so he, so, so from, from my dad, the problem was, man, what I make it is going to take my life. The, the abuse. And if he came before eating that food went through the window, you know, as a street kid, I had to survive on our, like literally I had to wake up and look in people's eye every day knowing is that person going to harm me or let me live, you know? And then even when I came to James's life, now here's the, the trouble where it began because I began to see what the blessing they were giving me, I didn't want to lose that. So now I understood, man, right. having a shoe is amazing. Man, having education is important to me. So then I began to work so hard for them to make sure they didn't pull that rug out of me. Does that make sense? Yes. So when I when I lived with them, I, I was the best cleaner. I had to clean. I had to, I never sat on the table. I made sure I was the first one to always clean and participate because I wanted to earn what they were giving me. That doesn't make sense. That, But for, for them, they did not understand. They said, hey, Peter is the easiest, kindest, hardest kid. But in my head, I was afraid they would pull the rug. So I worked extraordinarily hard not to lose this place. And, and you shared too that that made it hard on them. It was almost like they couldn't relax either. Right. It, it, it sort of made it difficult for them when you were acting that way. Well, but I think they, I was too good of a kid that they just didn't know what to do you know, because I did, I just didn't give them an, an opportunity to, but also I didn't, I didn't feel like I could be fully a family member. Like I, okay. I, I, I felt like I always had to work hard for it. So then, well, you know, once you finish high school, you know, you go to university, you work so hard in order to maintain that scholarship. So my life has been like, you always have to work hard to, 
to get anywhere. You know, I came to United States. I, I literally, I've been here for 20 years, but I became a U.S. citizen four, five, four years ago. So even being here, you're always like, man, I can't do anything wrong because I'm going to be kicked out of the country, oh, right. you know? Yeah. So, so you live a life of, uh, I, I have to, you know, that yes, when it came to, to marriage, I think I feel like, man, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to be in the habit of, I'm going to make her happy. And then, and then I'd be miserable put somewhere down the road in, in a way that yeah. I didn't want to put someone in that position. Like, Lord, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm good enough. I'm not sure I'm capable or even understand because as you said, you know, I've lived in that world of, mechanical survival, you know, yeah. even relationally, like I feel I'm always in the same way, you know, afraid that I, yeah. And yet you're in a position now with kids who you would tell, you would effusively tell them they are worth everything. And Absolutely. Yeah, even as you struggle with yourself. Okay. Yeah. But, but, but here's the, the irony. They're kids. So they don't have, there's no expectation on my end of, I, Right. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the the giving is easy for me. I would give every day, every night, you know. But the receiving, the receiving yeah. back that, that is can be. I think too many people can relate with that. Peter, health and wellness is a big part of my platform about this show. And uh oh my gosh, you you you, you kind of you had the worst. I mean, I've got so I got, you know, kids and I'm thinking I want them eating their vegetables, drinking their water, brushing their teeth, getting great sleep. Uh, it's a huge part, you know, in our home. I mean, just these basic aspects that you had zero of. Uh, I mean, it's just, you didn't have hygiene. You didn't, uh, you know, have a place to clean yourself. You lived in a, in a sewer. You're not brought, you talked about that. You were, your first toothbrush was like at 15 or something, right? And you were like, well, no, 18. Oh, I that's right. You were in college. <laughs> you were older. That's right. College. college and and yes. all before then, all you had was a stick and charcoal that you would use. So uh, here that is. So you're not brushing your teeth and the sleep just kills me like an hour a, a night. I mean, that seems unsustainable. I would look at that and go, you're going you're to die. Well, you didn't die. And, and here you are. And. Uh, you know, how do you view your own? Well, I'll start there. How do you view your own health and wellness? Like, I mean, from coming from that, is it more of a priority now or are you more lax about it? Cause you feel like, oh my gosh, you're so far ahead of what you grew up with. Ooh, I mean, culturally, yes, <laughs> it can be tough to, 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 you know, like I, for five years, I don't think I've been on a holiday once. Hmm. Okay, because because I I I never had a holiday before. You know, like there there wasn't holiday before for for my forty years. You know, so yeah. somehow to think of holiday, you know what? You know, I have never celebrated birthday. No one has ever. I've never told anyone my birthday. So it's not like even celebrating my own birth has ever happened. In any shape form, but he's what has helped me. Living in a culture where some things need to be done, that I have come to learn to do the same. You know, filling the cup. You know, at home I would run, walk, and do things. But I need to keep the same thing here. I go running, I bike, 
I go to the gym because that helped me in some way to survive. Okay. I, was in, I do want to ask you about that though, because it's so, <laughs> it's so amazing, Peter, because you, you know, I look, I, we talk about exercise today and, 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 you know, the exercise in some of the healthiest places in the world, they don't even use the word exercise because life is exercise. And you shared it's, that. I, well, I know. And you shared that, that you were, however, you were in college, I think. And, and, and a girl asked Julia, I think is who her name yeah. was, asked you to go run. And you're like, run. What, what, and you went and they're, they're running around on the track, a bunch of white people, I think is what you said, a bunch of white people running on a track, not going anywhere. You're like, what, <laughs> who, who does that? I mean, cause your life, what you walk where you needed to go. I mean, your life was that. So yeah, how, that's why I wanted to ask, you know, what does that look like today? So now you're saying, okay, your life, you can survive without that effort now, just like everybody, you know, it's, everybody here. So you do have exactly. to go do that. Okay. Yeah. In some way I've kept my African lifestyle in a different way. Yes, running is part of what, you know, I used to walk somewhere, but now I have to go running. You know, bike, I get to bike to the grocery store rather than drive there. So I found ways on how I can substitute my African life to still have it in an American way in some way. And so to keep me healthy uh, in a way. But two, I want to help more kids. I want to adapt 20 kids and maybe force uh, 150 kids in order to do so i need to be fit right right Right. (laughs) so in some way learning ways on what does that take you know what i eat what i do but also knowing that when my cup is full it's i have what to give but if it's not then i don't really have much to give and learning to fill my cup that that is important you know that that i i have to do that in order to be there for my kids have you, do you have any health deficits today that you attribute to the way that you grew up, that you slept an hour a night? I mean, that's not, that doesn't give good health overall, or do you feel like you've recovered for the most part? No, like still now, like I, you know, I, I survive on, you know, small amounts of sleep, you know, but it's all I know. Like, I don't. I don't know how to, I've tried. <laughs> I don't know how to sleep more than that. You know, I've never slept. How, how much do you mu- sleep? Oh. I, I want to know. How much do you sleep? Oh, no, I'm good. When I make four, I'm good. You know, four hours, four, four hours. Wow. You know, I, wow. I sleep. I've never slept on a bed with a pillow because I don't know how to sleep on a pillow. You, so there's some behavior. You don't today? Just, you still don't? To this day. Because I like. Yeah. I slept on the ground yeah. and my, my hands were my pillow. So I don't know how to sleep on the pillow and I've tried. So there are some things where I just say, God, you, you wired me, you wired me that way to see it as a deficit, but rather to see that's just how, how you wired me and how you made me. And I'm going to just I- I enjoy it in, in that way. That's amazing. Um, I mean, we look at mind and mental health is a category here and, it feels goofy to ask Peter, but I mean, is that something with what you have gone through in the journey? Do you need, do you, I mean, is this a, is this a continual work for you on your mind and on your mental health or was it, is it so, it was so acutely hard that now where you are, you find yourself in a place where you are just general, generally at peace and you are happy and you don't go to those dark places in your mind, or does that still come about? Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a good question. Like, I like why you phrase it. You know, it's people ask me, like, think about like, I don't know you. Uh, like, yes, like everything around you was just so horrible and you live in a paradise. How do you, like, how do you even 
equate to compare where you were before yeah. and where you are now. Like it, that's the hard part for me. Like I, I you know, it, 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 it's, it's the best analogy is I'm short. So every time I sit on the plane, when they give me the, the extra leg, extra leg, you know, and they give me first class, there's no difference. It's just <laughs> my legs still don't show, but I'm just in a different place okay. in, in, in a way that, that that's how I feel that, you know, I was living in a place where I couldn't think for a minute. I'm living in a place where I get to sleep, really. You know, I think that gratitude maybe makes it a little bit easier for me mm-hmm. to enjoy. Yes, I still go therapy because my kids go. And I found out, like, that's really good. When they go and I show up too, it's fun. I get to learn how I can be to their parents. But I get to learn my behaviors on how I respond too to know I can be a best dad. You know, so I've also come to learn to adapt the American. I'm a, I'm, I'm a dad to American kids. I'm not a dad to African kids. Right. So I've got to learn on how to really be there for them by learning myself how to really in some way live like an, a, a typical American dad. And, and in that way, I get to be a good dad to my American kids. When you look at work. So again, folks, if you read the book, um, Peter got the opportunity to go to school, to go to college, to go to multiple. You, you ended up at three different colleges. Is that right? Yes. I've got uh, three degrees. Yes. Three, yeah. Yeah. He's got those. And so, and then went into, you got the opportunity to speak uh, and you have spoken uh, a, a lot of times to a zillion people um, for different agencies and, and different opportunities and, and whatnot. And then, uh, of course, what you're known for now is flipping houses and uh, alongside what you do with uh, adoption and, and whatnot. Where, and now you've got a book, and speaking is a primary thing. When you look at your career, where, and now at this point right now, you just you want to be just a full-time dad. I mean, so when you look at the career, what is the, what's the focal point this day? It's just to whatever will pay the bills so that you can be full-time dad? <laughs> Pretty much. You know, okay. I feel like I, I worked all my life, yeah. you know, and, and, and I've always wanted to be a dad and I never had an opportunity to be a dad. And now I'm a dad. Like I want to be a dad to more. The other part is knowing that we have 425,000 kids in the force care. You know, I know it's a big number, but if I can put a dent to 20 yeah. kids or 30 kids, that that would mean the world for me. And that's what I want to, add, you know, dedicate my rest of my life, whatever I'm remaining with, four years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. If God can help me use that to nurture, provide a home and provide love to a kid that needs it. And that means I would like to foster more kids. I want to adopt more kids and I want to be an advocate for kids, you know, and that's really where I feel that my, my best call is. And I know we, we all can be foster parents for sure, but if I can inspire others to truly step up and, and do something little uh, and be a village to our kids that will do the best. And so right now, yes, any, if you can find me a job that will allow me to be a full-time dad and be paid, I would love that. I would love that, Kevin. Let's uh, buy your book and get you uh, speaking and giving this testimony here. So in essence, yeah, when you look at work right now, it is to provide revenue so you can take care of these kids. And let me ask you on that. Then we talked a little bit ago about the daily survival that you grew up in. You didn't think towards the next day. It was just today and not to, not to paint a bad light on having resources that you can count on, but the 
do you look at that now with money that you tend to naturally just kind of look at, Hey, what do I have today to get by as opposed to the longer term perspective of having a lot in store? Is that just kind of tend to be the natural perspective you go to? That's what you grow Pretty up. much. Okay. <laughs> you, I, say the, you say it quite well, because I feel like for me, for example, I'll give you an example. To be a comfortable dad, to, to to know I have enough money these days, like at least I must have. I I might I need about at least half a million dollars to be able to, to survive and not worry. I mean, for the next five years, I'm saying. Can you can you imagine if I have to live that stressful life every day, right. wondering, man, when will I get that? Like I think I would lose to do what I do now. But for me, my attitude is to say, God, help me do what I can do today. That the rest. If you want me to be a dad, you provide. And if not, that wasn't meant for me. But today, my kids need me today. Today, my kids need, need to know they are safe. Today, my kids need to know um, that there's a glimpse or uh, a pathway to go back to their parents. Today, I want to sure my kids uh, have a permanence. If they, I'm going to adopt them, sure. I want, that's what I want to work on today. But right. tomorrow, I really believe that it will take care of itself in, in some way, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I think I want to still live in, in an African sense of like, God will take care of tomorrow, but I got to worry about today. And I think that really helps me to be in present with my kids, you right. know? It's today they don't, it's today they need me. It's, it's not the next week, yeah. but rather rather today. And and, and as Kevin, as you know, our kids who come from hard places, you know, every day is a different day. Yeah. And for me, I have today and, and the resource I don't have, I hope, I hope that somehow uh, there'll be a way. When you look at your achievements, I mean, you have achieved a lot. My gosh. I mean, I think you have a healthy pride in what you've done, what you've accomplished and where you are today. And as you look forward, do you have anything that stands out? Like, yeah, I, I, wa- I want to be an author. I want to continue doing that. I want to be a speaker. Or to you, is it all focused on, I'm, I want to leave a legacy, live and leave for these kids. And that's the primary achievement and everything else just serves that. Yes. The latter. So like for me, yes, I think, you know, I've spoken, I've seen more than a hundred thousand kids sponsored through compassion world vision. That's, that's a lot of kids that I would feel like, Oh, that's enough, you know? Uh, But man, as I said, there's this, there's 450,000 kids in the foster that are looking for a dad that I wish I could help more. And that's really what I'm looking for, uh, giving an opportunity to help more kids because, uh, you know, they, they need as much as, as we can. I've had 28 kids. None of them have ever said, man, I wish we had a mom. They all say, I wish we had a dad. Mm-hmm. And realizing that if I can play that role to our kids, especially teenagers, I would like to do that, you know? And that's, that's what I said. If God is giving me extra five months, extra 10 years, extra 30 years, yes, I want my legacy to know how, how many more kids can I help? You know, I, I, I went to, to a financial guy and he's like, well, if you want to have a million dollars in the future, this is what you need to do. I'm like, wait a minute. Why would I have it then? I need it now so I can help the kids. And he, and he looked fair. at me and said, Man, you, you're the only guy I've ever met that you're thinking about today. I'm like, yes, because if, I, if I'm not there tomorrow, what does it do? Yeah. 
you know, but if I can provide an extra bedroom for a kid that needs it, yes, it's done and invested so well. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm looking for resource that I can use now. Yeah. So I can, I can help more kids. Uh, Peter, just thank you uh, again. Um, I'm eager to stay connected with you. I hope that I can get a hundred thousand people to listen to this and to hear you and to go buy the book and to, um, and to get you to come speak wherever you, wherever they can gather a group, whether it's a church or, or wherever else and let you tell the story. And I think it's something that, yeah, again, for me, it was, it was, it was more of a self-help journey to walk through your book as it was an advocacy for uh, serving other people. It was equal both. Um, thank you for doing what you've done with the kids for um, putting this book out and uh, doing all that you do to, to serve everyone. Uh, and thank you for the time and you have served me today. Thank you, Peter. Well, you've served me too. You've given me therapy for that I needed for the next for the next three months, and and for sure. And that's why I wrote a book, you know, on how can I help someone else see the best they can do, take hold of what their future is, rather than let the past drag it. And yeah. and each one of us can do something small, something little. You know, he made me known. You can make someone else known. You know, he made me see the potential I had that I didn't even see myself. Even in our own ways, it's amazing when we get to show someone else, like, hey, you got a potential. You're a boss of someone, you know, to look at all your employees and say, you got it in you. You can do this. And it's amazing at the end of the day when we get to see them excel. Okay, friends, again, Peter Mutabazi's new book is called Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. And visit his website at nowiamknownfoundation.org and consider booking him to speak and help his efforts to foster and adopt more children and support children in the foster and adoption system. Again, nowiamknownfoundation.org. Thank you, as always, for choosing to tune in to the Self-Helpful Podcast. be great if you would share what you heard today with someone else. Talk about it. It'll help you digest it, and it will help that person as well. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others. 